This morning, I would like to continue our studies that we're doing in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be starting with verse 1 of chapter 8. So you can begin to look that up. First, I would like to give a little background to this story. Many of you understand completely the ceremonial system of the Old Testament. It probably goes back way to Adam's day as we read in the beginning verses of Genesis 3. They were sacrificing lambs. And um, those lambs represented Jesus. That's why Cain's offering was unacceptable because that lamb represented Jesus. Later, John would say, when he saw Jesus coming to him for baptism, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So this lamb was prophetic. This went on until the flood. And after the flood, one of the first things that they did was to come off the ark and sacrifice. There were many clean animals on the ark that were, they had for sacrifice and to sustain them. And Noah's sons and their sons began to spread out over the earth. Some went east to Persia, or west into Europe, or down south into Egypt and Africa. But they spread out over the earth. And even at Babylon, which was one of the key instrumentalities in spreading them apart, there were sacrifices. But these sacrifices began to change. And they began to sacrifice even their own children. This went all over the world. If you've ever studied the Aztec culture here in the Americas, it was still going on over here, too. And the culture that they had over there ended up here. Even the pyramids, if you think about it. Well, here we come down to Corinth now, and the Corinthians had established a form of worship, and they had many gods. So Paul is dealing with this issue here in 1 Corinthians and let's begin with verse 1, where he says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we have knowledge. Of course, he was a Jew, you know, and he knew about the true God. And he's going to talk to the people here about uh, being puffed up with certain knowledge. I suppose many of the converts were converts from Judaism, and they knew a lot more than those who had come out of the pagan religions. But he says here, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. That's, a, that's an important statement. How many are puffed up because of knowledge in this world today? And uh, I've been around 
teaching in different colleges and universities, and uh, I've noticed that some of the colleagues, it kind of went to their head. But a wise man knows that the more you know, the less you know you know. The more you know, the more you realize that out there in the world, there's so much more. And it was said to the students, and let's apply this also to witnessing and teaching others, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Very important. You've got to care first. And so Paul is dealing with this when he says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Then let's move to verse 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. And if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Yes. And Paul was a very well-educated man, wasn't he? Spoke several languages, probably knew the Old Testament mostly by heart. A very well-educated man. Yet he realized that so many times we think we know, and we know so little. We know so little about God, and that's what's going on in this chapter. It's dealing with knowledge about God. Only God knows about God. Only God truly understands God. But the more we know, the more we will relate to Him in a proper way. So knowledge is important. I was got to thinking about knowledge and how it relates to other parts of our life, and I thought, you know, experience is what you get when you put knowledge to work. But, you say, well, then if knowledge is, uh, has to do with experience and all, what is wisdom? Well, wisdom is good judgment as a result of experience. Did you catch that? Wisdom is good judgment as a result of our experiences. Some of us learn from experiences and some don't. Those who don't learn from our mistakes are called fools. Proverbs has a statement that goes like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. How many fools are there in the world today that despise Christianity? You see it. You see it in, in the, the media. You see it all around you. And they think themselves knowledgeable and wise. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 now. It says in verse 3, But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. So what he's saying here is that those who truly love God, God knows quite well. 
To know God is to love Him. That's why it's so important to learn as much as you can about God. I think every Christian should be a theologian. We should study everything we can about God. Sometimes we tell these stories to the children that are Old Testament stories, and we say, well, uh, these are just stories that interest these children. You know, it gets them into the Bible. But, you know, every one of those stories tells us something about God, how He relates to His people. How did He relate to Daniel? How did He relate to Abraham? How did He relate to these men of the Old Testament? What about Job? And as you read every one of these stories, you say, aha, now I know a little bit more about God. And to know Him is to love Him. Also, if we love Him, we obey Him, don't we? Many Christians say that they know God, but are not committed enough to obey Him. There's a statement in Titus. We'll go to that text. It says, They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. Being detestable, disobedient, worthless for any good deed. In other words, they say they're Christians, but their actions don't show it. I can remember as a boy, my daddy used to say, what you do speak so loud I can't hear what you say. You know, today we have public opinion is so important. God is kind of being put aside. And public opinion is almost more important than God's opinion. I think to the general public it is. You go on social media and you read what this one says and that one says and they take a poll here and a poll there. You know what I'm talking about. And that's, that's more important than God's word. In fact, it's more important than the facts, people's opinions. People are more interested in what other people think than what God thinks. They're more concerned about hurting other people than hurting God. Hmm. Interesting. There's another text here I'd like to turn to. It's Matthew 7, uh, verses 22 and on. Many, it says, many will say in, to me in that day, and there's Jesus talking, Jesus is, is uh, preaching, and he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. But it says those who love God, this one is known by him. But he, to these he say, I never knew you. By the way, that word lawlessness comes from a Greek word, anomia. Nomos means law. 
And anomia is against law. So they're practicing against law. It's pretty obvious what law he's talking about, isn't it? He's not talking about parking violations. He's talking about God's law. So in the end, he'll say, I I didn't know you. Working all these miracles. You can read in Revelation and and, uh, Thessalonians where he's talking about great miracles being worked at the very end to deceive nearly the whole world and it would even deceive the very elect if possible. He says, I never knew you. Let's move to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or in the earth, are there as many gods and many lords, he says. He's talking about pagan gods. Now, first of all, he's saying here that idol is nothing. He says it's a joke. Idol is a joke. And uh, he goes on to say that there is only one God. The idol is a joke because there are no other gods. In fact, as I was reading this, the word for food, he's talking about offering food to idols. The word for food is broma. In Spanish, that would be broma for joke. Just a curious thing there. What about all these other gods? Did the Greeks have gods? They have 12 major gods. You probably remember some of these names. Zeus, he was the father of all gods. He was the most powerful god at that time. See, there are three brothers that took, took it out of the hands of their father. And Zeus became the primary god, the father of all gods, sky, thunder, And then his brother Poseidon was uh, god of the seas. And then Hades, I always say he drew the short straw. You know what he was god of, the underworld. Apollo comes along. Apollo is the son of Zeus, who is a god of truth, prophecy, healing, plague, music, etc. Uh... Artemis, Aphrodite, you know that that would be love and beauty, Ares, the god of war, Athena, god of wisdom, courage, inspiration, justice, Hermes, and the whole list of them with Hermes. He was a messenger of the gods, but also for travelers, herdsmen, thieves, orators, wit. This was uh, Hermes. Now, how does this all play out in the Christian world? We'll get to that. 
Now, how about the Romans? This was during the Roman Empire. Now, remember that the Roman Empire was divided in two. And this, Paul is in the eastern half of the Roman Empire right now where they all spoke Greek. Only the educated spoke Greek or read Greek in the West. And the Romans had their own gods, including uh, the names of our planets. What are some of those names? Jupiter, Venus, Mars, Mercury, you go on naming the planets. Those were gods of the Romans. And they worshipped the venerable day of the sun, Sunday. I've worked among people who had many gods. It was interesting talking to them uh, down in uh, parts of Latin America. And these primitive people... It was interesting that they would see rock formations and they worshipped them. They worshipped about every animal. And uh, they had a little tribal circle with their... Each tribal hut was dedicated to a different animal and they had that picture of that animal or a symbol of it in front of their little hut. Very, very interesting worship. They had so many gods... But among their gods was Jesus Christ and the Virgin of Guadalupe, who was a little bit above Jesus. That sounds familiar sometimes. And, uh, but I've worked among these people, and I thought it was so interesting. I even went to see what they did sometimes. I remember flying a, a group, a small group, over to a cave, a cave of the moon god, to see what they were doing. Curious. Of course, it was about a three or four-day walk for them and about a 20-minute flight, so I said, I'll do you a favor. I'll take you over there. Uh, at that time, I worked for the Inter-American Division as a, as a pastor and a pilot. And uh, I got used to uh, seeing all of these uh, people worship these different gods and they had their images. Now, in the days of Paul, each image, of course, represented their, their god, and they felt that these images had power. Does that, does that carry through into the Christian church? You ever read the history of the Christian church? They developed thousands of patron saints over time. During the Dark Ages, they had a patron saint for everything, for every situation. They had one, at least one, for every day of the year. And that carried over into the church. And so the majority in the world still do this. I can remember one time I was working down in South America. I used to live down there for several years. And I walked up to a guy and I said, uh, what are the bells ringing for? And he said, oh, I don't know. Go ask him. These, these guys were ringing the bells. And I, so I asked him and he says, oh, go ask him. So finally I got to the last guy and he says, oh, it's Holy Spirit Day, don't you know? Uh, but they had uh, worship for every single saint also throughout the year. 
And these patron saints during the Dark Ages were kind of interesting. They had patron saints for blisters. They were patron saints for bowel disorders, dandruff, hemorrhoids, hangovers. Yeah, that was in those days too, huh? Mad dogs. There was a patron saint for nettle rash. One for scabs. One for seasickness. These went on and on and on. Sounds like the people of Corinth and their many gods. Paul spoke of the pagans there around Corinth this way. If you look that up in Romans, this is our next text, Romans 1. Professing to be wise, they became fools, he says, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Go back to Exodus where this commandment was really written down to start with. Let's go back to Exodus 20. And it says, You shall not bow down to them, that is, these idols, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Let's stop just a second there. Uh, It's interesting how God speaks of himself as being a jealous husband. His wife is what? The church, his followers, his people. He does this throughout the, throughout the Bible. You remember in Hosea's day where he told Hosea, go out and get yourself a wife, and she is to be a harlot. That's, that has to be her profession, and you're going to marry this gal. And then she was unfaithful to him, and God says, now you know what I feel like. Now you know what I feel like when my people are unfaithful. In fact, I have often told people that the first four commandments can be put into that context. How would it be if a husband were to marry his new bride and he comes home, and and they're going to live in her place now, and they come home and she has all these other men. She's not willing to give them up. And she has their pictures on the wall. You see the images. And she talks to them. And then she puts his name down, putting him down before her friends. And then finally she says, oh, I'm going to change our anniversary, and I don't like your birth date. I'm going to change all that. How, how would he feel? God says, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. Moving on now, uh, let's read the last part of that. And it says, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love him and keep his commandments. I, the Lord, am a jealous God. Does that mean he's imperfect or doesn't love? No. That expresses the quantity of his love for us. And you know, he... He's a jealous God, and it, ta- it says that right in the second commandment, and those commandments were put where? 
They were put in an ark, and that ark in the most holy place. And that, those commandments that were the very seat of his government, right above it, notice above it, as close as could be, was the mercy seat. God is a God of mercy. He put it as near as he could to his requirements of love. Now, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God, Paul says, one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. Some people say, well, uh, the Father and the Son, that's two. How can that be one? Well, Jesus kind of explains that to us in uh, John, the 17th chapter, when he was praying, and he says, I pray that they, that is his followers, they may all be one as we are one. See? Complete unity. They think alike, do everything alike. Every move they make is together. They're one. I like in this passage, I like the fact that it says the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is most important. Let's break that down a little bit. The word Lord, kurios in Greek, actually is used in place of the word Jehovah from the Old Testament. And even, in fact, in the Old Testament, many times they will translate the word Jehovah as Lord. And you'll see it in your King James Bible or New King James and other versions as capital L-O-R-D. All th- four letters are caps. And you know that that is the word Jehovah in the original language. Very interesting. Jesus, Jehovah? Let's take a look at that again, too. In the New Testament, of course, it uses the word kurios, and uh, it can mean master, lord. They didn't have the word Jehovah. Did you know the word Jehovah is not mentioned in the New Testament? But uh, they used the word kurios. Now, then it says Jesus. I go back to when Jesus was born. The angel came to Mary and said, you shall call his name, what? Jesus. For he'll save your people from their sins. Jesus. In the Old Testament, uh, that word was really the same word as Joshua, Yehoshua. Then it was changed. And then in Aramaic, it was Yeshua. That's probably what his parents called him. And... Uh, of course, that name meant Jehovah is salvation. What a name for the Savior. Jehovah is salvation. And then it uses the word Christ. Christ being the Messiah, the anointed one. 
He was anointed when the Holy Spirit came down at John's baptism, remember, in the form of a dove and anointed him. Part of the completion of those prophecies of Daniel, the anointed one, Jesus. It made him the most important man in the universe, Jesus. The image of God, the only begotten of the Father. Some people say, well, you know, it's saying here that Jesus is less than his Father and he was created. No. That word only begotten can mean the unique one. The unique one. There's only one. Is there another in the universe that is God and man? No. He's the unique one. The only one. Now let's turn to Colossians talking about Jesus being the image of, the, of God. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now that word firstborn means that he came before all. It can also refer to perfection. He's before all things. In Psalms, chapter 33, it says... By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Notice that the word Lord is in capital letters. What does that mean? By the word of Jehovah, the heavens were made. Paul even says in Colossians that he made everything in the heavens, everything on earth. Now, what he's saying is, Jehovah made these things. In John 1, verse 3, our next one, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. He's talking about the Word, Jesus, isn't he? All things were made by Jesus. If you go back to Genesis, the second chapter, you'll find 11 places in that chapter where it says the Lord God... And it says, what it's saying is, Jehovah God made, Jehovah God did this, Jehovah God is talking about who? It's talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus. In fact, here's one that I like. It's in Isaiah 44. And it says, thus says the Lord. Notice the caps. It's Jehovah. Notice he says, Jehovah, the King of Israel and the Redeemer, the Lord, that is Jehovah again, the, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, beside me there is no God. Now doesn't that remind you of Revelation where Jesus says, I am the first and the last? Yes. So, this word Lord, referring to Jesus, is more meaningful than we first thought. God created man in his own image, it says, and he desires us to be recreated into his image spiritually again. Only Jesus really carried that image. But he desires a us the same. 
character like Jesus. Let's go to Colossians 3. In Colossians 3, Paul says, But now you yourselves are to be put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man and his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. He's using this word knowledge and the image. So he says, if you do these things, you're not in his image. But be renewed into the image of him who created. Who created? Jesus. There's so much we can glean from these verses in the uh, First Corinthians. Paul was dealing with people in Corinth who had some problems with idols. And he tried to bring them out of the idol worship, but, but there, was, there were some who had advanced knowledge. They may have been Jews. They had advanced knowledge of what God was like. And uh, he was trying to bring them all together, and some were actually kind of lording it over the others. Well, we know more. So, in this, in this whole uh, scheme of things, I, I look back at Corinth, and I say, hmm, I think back of their, with their idols, and they, they would bring uh, animals to be sacrificed. Where did they get that? They got that from Noah and his sons before they spread out over the earth. And they also brought some of the first fruits of their harvest, food. Where did they get that? Well, you read about that in the Old Testament too. And I'm talking about the pagans in, Rome, in uh, Corinth now. And they brought all these things in. And they would sacrifice animals by the hundreds, sometimes all in one day. must have been a bloody mess. The reason God wanted Adam to sacrifice that animal in the beginning was that he'd see how serious sin is. You know, this is serious. And God had a beautiful plan. You know, Satan thought he had him over a barrel. He says, you know, God can't show his love and his justice at the same time. He can't show how much he hates sin and still be a loving God. But he did it through Jesus Christ, didn't he? fact, it says that Jesus became sin for us. In the Old Testament, remember, they put up the serpent on the pole, and everyone that looked to it would be healed. Why a serpent? Because Jesus became sin for us. He was looked upon as a sinner, separated from his father, And as we look at these uh, sacrifices there in Corinth, you know, they brought all these things in. Sometimes they'd have thousands of people celebrating. 
they'd be eating their food. And what they couldn't eat, in fact, there were parts of the animal they couldn't eat. They were inedible, the bones and skin and so forth. And that they sacrificed to the gods. Sometimes the, the comics, the Greek comics would say, hey, isn't it interesting how we take the good stuff and give the rest to the gods? And then they also had these foods and what they couldn't eat there, they often put in the marketplace. And you'll read other places in 1 Corinthians where Paul is talking about uh, food purchased there in the marketplace. Now, throughout the chapter, it uses the word food and you get to the last verse of, of this eighth chapter and it uses meat, the word for meat. But uh, much of it was meat. And some of it was other food. And they were arguing, well, should we buy food from the marketplace? We don't know whether it was a sacrifice to idols or not. Paul says, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's a joke. (laughs) So in summary today, when we have, uh, do we have our own idols? Do we have our own idols? Some of, to some people, it's the American idols, I suppose. We, have, uh, we make idols out of our wealth. We make idols out of our knowledge. We make idols out of our education. I can, I've been around a lot of people who uh, you wondered whether that was the most important thing in the universe to them is the title they have. These things are good. Wealth, knowledge, education, those are all good when they're used in service for God, right? God gave us those things to be used in His service, not to replace our need for Him. You know, in Revelation it says that the last church, they're rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing. I don't need anything. I don't need God. I've got a good doctor and medicine is so modern and up to date. Why should I listen to him? These things were given to us to support us in our service for God, not to replace our need for him. They can become idols. So the question I have today is, who or what do you depend on Who do you depend on? A spouse? A politician? Yourself? Your wealth? Or do we depend on God? I think that's what Paul is trying to say to us today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we can't help but being humbled by your nature, your goodness, your love, your mercy. We can hardly imagine a humble God as we see in Jesus. We thank you so much for sending him that we may understand you more and have knowledge of you. Now we pray that our lives may reflect his image. 
And that in every part of our life, we may depend solely on Him and not the other things of this world that attract us. So bless us. Bless every family here as we go our separate ways. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.